Welcome to Greatness Defined. My name is Damian Anderson. I am a lifestyle entrepreneur that is dedicated to helping you define your inner greatness. Each week, we will be bringing you an inspiring person or message that will help you define your inner greatness. Thank you for joining us today. Now sit back, relax, and let the class begin. I'm holding on for you to come around. I've waited for so long, I've run aground. I feel I'm burning up inside. Oh, hear me crying. I feel like everyone's alive. And I am tired. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us with Greatness Defined today. Today is episode number four, talking about the importance of following your dream. And I am so excited to have my uh, my wife's father, or grandfather. Uh, if you think you've seen the most interesting man in the world on the Dos Equis question or commercial, man, we have a treat for you today. So, Leland, thank you for joining us today on our episode. Um, I'd first like to start off with talking about your story so people can understand where you're coming from. And then we're going to start getting into the details as to how you achieved the different things you did in your life. So starting off, I mean, what year were you born in? 1940. 1940. Where were you uh, born in? Chattanooga. Oh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. In the, yes, in the, in the charity ward of the Erlanger Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so as a result of being in the charity ward, there was no extra, so I didn't get circumcised. Oh, no. Because <laughs> that would have cost extra. <laughs> wow. And that's one of my highlights of my life is not being circumcised. That's awesome. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> you don't mind me talking about that, I guess. Oh, you're fine. So okay. when uh, when did you graduate high school? 1958. Uh, 1958. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And from Chattanooga as well? Yeah. yeah. Red Bank High School in Chattanooga, yes. Mm-hmm. And I didn't always live in Chattanooga when I grew up, but I finished high school there. Okay. And then from high school, you went straight to college, right? Oh, I tried. I actually completed one semester, but then uh, I got married young, had to start having babies, and had to quit uh, school. And, uh, and then later, I, I went back at, at the age of 26. I started back, resumed my college. And what was your undergrad in? Chemistry, BS in chemistry. chemistry, yeah. That's awesome. University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Man, so starting off like whenever I was first brought into the family, I've heard about all the different jobs and occupations that you've held, and I was just curious if you would mind sharing that because I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of inspiration from all the things you've done. Okay, well I'll, I'll give you a history of my work my work history. Uh, eighth grade, I got a paper route, and uh, then I went to work uh, after that. And at fourteen, I started bagging groceries at the Mulkin Jackson supermarket. And then when I was um, 17, uh, after I graduated from high school, I went to work at the Chattanooga Gas Company in the street department, digging ditches. 
wow. was a, it was a laborer, you know, just common laborer. And um, at that time, this before integration really was, you know, off the ground. And so all of the laborers were black except me. <laughs> 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 uh, and the blacks could not move up at, at the gas company, but oh man, but I could. So I was really treated really differently than the other laborers. So I spent about six months, you know, cutting holes in the street with a shovel and a pick. And then I got to move uh, to a better job. And I went to a welder's helper and then I uh, went to operating machinery, heavy machinery. And, and uh, then at that time, uh, I tried to go, you know, after about a year, I tried to go to school. Went to school one semester and then had to drop out because of uh, family, having kids. And so I didn't go back until I was 26. I started back, uh, but the, at the time I was working for DuPont. Wow. They had a, a tuition re- refund program and they liberated their, liberalized their tuition refund to apply to wage roll employees. It was, up to that time, it was only salaries. People could do that. So when they did that, I took advantage of it and, and started going to school part-time. To what, was your, what was your motivation to go back to school? Poverty. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time when I was working at the gas company, I was sitting on that, I was standing on a pile of dirt with a shovel in my hand and one of my high school friends drove by in a car and he just, you know, very visibly laughed, laughing at me, you know, making a big show of laughing at me sitting on, standing on that pile of dirt. That was some motivation. Wow. It was. That's like a Hollywood, like, that's that's from a movie. Uh, no, it happened. <laughs> Man, that <laughs> is really awesome. It happened. So, anyway, I... Uh, I uh, left the gas when I when I at the gas company I I got a job gassing their trucks so I could work at night and so I would work come at three o'clock in the morning get off at eight thirty go to school and I was going to school at UTC and uh, and I finished one semester but uh, I got married really young and I was already married and and my wife got pregnant and so I quit and. Had to, I, I couldn't get back into the job I had before at the gas company, so I had to go. I was looking for something else full time. The gas and trucks was part time, so I took a job selling insurance, which is no job at all. <laughs> That's not a job. And uh, I was uh, running a debit. I don't know if you know what that means, but it's a weekly premium, and you go to the poor section of the town. And you go around to their house and collect the premium for their insurance, and it's just—it's just, it's just oh, a man. terrible manipulation of poor people. And uh, I did that a little while, and then I, I said, "This is this sucks," you know. And I just told my boss, I "says I'm quitting," and I said, "If you want me to stay around a couple of weeks, if you get somebody to replace me, I, you can." But I'm quitting. I didn't even have a job, but I said, "This is not, you know, yeah. really a job. This is terrible stuff y- y'all are doing." I mean, I, we competed with the numbers racket guy. You know, he's coming around picking up numbers. And I had to get there to their house before he did because they would pay their weekly premium health insurance or life insurance. And if he got there first, he'd get, they'd put their money on the numbers, you know, and gamble. Oh, man. So we were, we were kind of in competition with the numbers guys. I said, I don't want to do this. Didn't you have a job? Just quit. 
and the boss said no we don't want you if you don't like it don't want you to stay and uh, so I walked out of there I closed out my debit account on Friday walked down the street and didn't know what I was gonna do I didn't know what I was gonna say to my wife I got home I don't have a job and and I walked by the Railway Express and this was a place like UPS now or, or mm-hmm. FedEx or whatever but it was they handled the mail for the railroad I mean the railroad carried the mail but Railway Express actually handled it and they had a car on a train and they had employees riding on the train separating mail and I walked in and asked for a job and got on the extra board which means uh, extra board they call you if they need you and I did that and it worked full time and uh, it was pretty just good. like that just yeah walk- I just walked in there and I, <laughs> and, uh, and walked in there and I said apply for a job and he said yeah we'll put you on the extra board and so I was about fourth or fifth down the list on the extra board and and your name moves up the list and you finally get a re- if a regular job comes open they take the top man on the extra board and give him the regular job if he wants it so anyway, I worked for Railway Express about six months, and uh, mostly, mainly I was, sometimes I drove a truck, delivery truck, but usually I was out there at midnight unloading boxcars and stuff like that. But it paid good, and it was union, and so it had good pay. From that, because of the irregularity of the, of, you know, not knowing when you're going to work when you're not, call you, I took a full-time job in a tire store. And I was changing tires and selling tires and putting tires on cars. And and there, uh, I had people that I went to high school with come in and get tires. And I'm I'm, I'm not as bad as digging a ditch, but I'm still not too good. (laughs) I'm not changing tires. So I'm still pretty motivated to do something better. And then... At this time, are you still in college too? No, no, no. I'm married and I got two kids and I'm... And I'm struggling, really struggling, mm-hmm. to, su- to, to support two kids and a wife. And my wife didn't work, and uh, so I'm just trying to. And I you know I wanted to go to college, but it didn't work out. So now I'm just trying to do the best I can. Well, uh, my wife's uh, brother went to a church on Signal Mountain. Uh, one of the guys that went to the church there did the hiring for DuPont and so he mentioned my name to the guy that he, his friend at, DuPont, at the church and got him to pull my application at DuPont otherwise I, I wouldn't ever gotten considered because everybody it's all about who you know and the contacts you have and networking yeah. and stuff like that any kind of job that is well they pulled my application, called me in. I got the, hired with DuPont, and uh, it's working swing shift in a factory, making nylon yarn, and I'm starting out on the bottom, unpacking returned bobbins and cleaning them. Nice. And uh, But it paid more than I was making changing tires, and it was regular, and it was less hours. I just had to work swing shift. So I did that, and then I worked for them. And I was really happy with that, and I actually moved to a, rented a better house, and and then uh, we had another kid, so now we've got three. Wow. And three children, and, but I've got a pretty good job. That's, it's a, it's, you know, it's a working man, it's a blue-collar yeah. job, but 
DuPont paid rent and they had good benefits. And so I was, I was, I just knew that I didn't want to do anything to jeopardize losing that, you know, take yeah. a chance of losing that. And I wanted to hang on to what I had and you want to do better, but you don't want to take any chance of losing what you've got already with, you know, you don't want to back up. So they liberalized their tuition refund program. I took advantage of it and uh, there were about 20, uh, the plant had 5,000 people. Wow. There were about 20 people on, on wage roll that, that signed up for that tuition refund program. I mean, I was wow. surprised there wasn't any more than that. Out of 5,000 people? Yeah, 20. That's crazy. And after the first, I went, I signed up and went, started going to school part-time, working swing shift. And when my shift, you know, you were every seven days, you change shifts. When I got around on the day shift, uh, they had a, had a procedure. You could swap off your shift with somebody working different shift if they would agree to do it. So if you get somebody that would agree that didn't like working four to twelve, mm-hmm. you just sign a swap sheet, and on a day day to day basis, he would come in and work your shift. You go work his. And so I traded off my days and worked four to twelve, so I could go to school. And at the end of the first semester, I finished, I think I was, I signed up for four subjects, which is really full time, 12, you know, yeah. 12 hours. That's crazy. I know, and I'm working eight hours shift, and then I've got these kids I'm raising, so. At the end of that first semester, there was only one other person that had stuck with it. Out of 5,000 people, it was me and a girl. Wow. That she wow. Was, that she was taking, uh, she worked as a janitor. In other words, she cleaned the bathrooms. DuPont thinks a lot of their janitors because they it's a group two job. There's 12 groups, and she's <laughs> on a group two. I was on group one when I started. I actually moved up to, I think, level three at that time. So hanging on to here, while you're going to school and, uh, and in your job while having a family, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are still wanting to do the same thing and are going through that struggle. And, you know, that's a grind. Um, what is the best piece of advice that you could give them if they're going through that, what you went through at that time? I just want to tell you that you just take it one day at a time. And once I, I took it one semester at a time. If I had any idea that this is going to take me seven and a half years to get a four-year degree, you know, I didn't know what it was going to take. Uh, I wouldn't have done it, you know. And mm-hmm. you know what Kelly told me? She said, if I had any idea how hard med school was, I wouldn't have gone. Yeah. You know? So I never thought about it. I knew it was something I wanted. I wanted it really, really bad. And, and if you're going to get an education in those kind of circumstances when you've already got all these obligations, you got to really, really want it. Yeah. And I did. I wanted it bad. And so I'm... Doing all, I'm going to school, I'm work, swapping off my day shifts, and then my kids are playing softball and basketball, I'm coaching the teams for them, and all this stuff, and trying to find time to study, Wow! and go to school too, and uh, so I had to back off on the 12 hours, I couldn't do that, so I'm taking two subjects at a time, sometimes three, if I had a lab on a science course or something, I'd have to maybe just take one course, and just a lab, you know. Yeah. Those labs take a lot of time. But I remember I had to take... DuPont wouldn't pay for everything. They'd pay for engineering, 
and the only thing Chattanooga offered in engineering was electrical engineering or industrial engineering and uh, all these <laughs> the real engineers like they laugh about industrial engineering that's imitation engineering or something <laughs> 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 and I have no offense to all you industrial engineers because I've got good friends and I've got a, a people in the family that are industrial engineers but we like to tease them about that yeah but they wouldn't pay for physics and that was my dream was to study physics and and that's all the way from the from the sixth grade. Wow! I had a dream of studying physics, and and so really I was it was a it was something I really really wanted. But I, Dupont wouldn't pay for physics. They'd pay the tuition for chemistry because they're a chemical company. They pay for business because they wanted supervisors and managers. They pay for engineers, and Chattanooga only offered electrical or industrial, and I really didn't have a lot of you know, admiration for industrial <laughs> engineers. <laughs> I, that wasn't something I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, and so I took chemistry because they would pay for it, and it was a, my second best, second choice. You know. That's awesome. So after you graduated college, then what did you go on to do? Did you say a DuPont? Oh, that's or? a funny, you all hear a funny story. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay. I'm, I've been working for DuPont, so I went to work in, in the, when I was 23. At 26, I started going to school. And at uh, 32, this is seven years later, I graduated. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I've been nine years on swing shift working out there on those machines. And I filed, you know, after I've, they paid for my tuition, you'd think they would want to hire me, you know? Yeah. They don't have a procedure for doing that. What? I, I, I go, <laughs> I turn in an application for a job with DuPont. And they don't even look at it. What? And I'm working for them. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? Well, that's I mean, crazy. That's so funny. But it so happens that there was an engineer with the company in my plant there where I worked that knew I was going to school all this time. And he would come by occasionally on his way in in the morning. I'd be working the midnight shift. And he would uh, stop and talk to me. How's it going? And he'd ask me how I'm doing with my school. And am I about to graduate? And so... After several years, he, <laughs> he, I finally got to tell him, yeah, I'm about to graduate. <laughs> and he said, well, have they, has anybody said anything to you about an interview for a job? I said, no, I haven't heard a thing. And he, so he would go by the personnel office and tell them, you got this guy working out there in the beaming area, and uh, he's just finishing up, and it's time to consider his application. Well, they did nothing. And, uh, I mean, you know, they're just people there you know and he kept pestering them and he pestering them and finally they got tired of him pestering them so they called me in for an interview about the same time I graduated I graduated in the, in the winter wow. December and they called me in for an interview and that was so strange because they treated me like I was a college graduate that had gone through the recruiting process I got off work eight o'clock in the morning working my swing shift, went out the door where the employees go in and out, put on a tie, went around to the front office building and came in for my interview. No way. That's <laughs> so silly. And went through it. I had a guy, I had a, a host or a guide uh, to, to go with me all day. I went around and interviewed, starting out with the 
an engineer and a supervisor in the process area and the, and gradually moved up and then I went to lunch in the cafeteria in the plant. Then when after lunch we I go talk to I have an interview with a superintendent level man and then then uh, <clears throat> I go back with my um, the guy that's taking me around the host or whatever and we have some time to talk while they all get together and discuss what they think about me and then they give me an answer they know that day we're going to consider you know we'll make the offer or not well here's what happened <clears throat> I interviewed with a man named John Thien he was a middle manager this was one of the morning interviews and uh, he asked me something about my personal life and I said well I'm divorced and um, got two kids well it so happens that he was going through a divorce he had a picture of his girlfriend on the desk and his uh, and he's really bitter about his wife and he starts telling me all this stuff and so we talk about divorce we never talk about my <laughs> education or my abilities oh, no. and we talk about divorce and women then after lunch I go to the superintendent level and there's several manage there's several levels of management and the superintendent has an assistant plant manager above him and then the plant manager above that this the uh, superintendent happened to be on real friendly terms with John Thame the middle manager that I had interviewed talked about divorce and he had a picture of a really pretty woman on his <laughs> file cabinet and he's going through a divorce and that's all we talk about is divorce oh man and then they make me an offer and I get the it's just really weird how things work yeah and they make me an offer and they said we'll make you a, you know we're offering you a job as a chemist and here's the salary and I went to work for John Thiem no way and and later on he told me he said you know I want to tell you about your interview he said we got together and, and uh, we were having a rack up about your about you whether they want to hire you or not and he said uh, the superintendent he said Hell, let him try. <laughs> and, and that's what happened. And you got the job. And I got a job, and I went to work for DuPont. And How long did you stay working with them for? I had finished my career with them, 33 years. I retired there. When, they, when, they, when DuPont completely got out of the fibers business, they sold off some of it, closed down a lot of plants. That was the biggest segment of DuPont's company as far as revenue. Mm-hmm. by far the biggest portion of the company and they completely got out of it and and the reason was because DuPont sees themselves as staying on the leading edge of whatever field and making a lot of profit mm-hmm. and textiles was a commodity and that's not the kind of business they see themselves in is commodities yeah. I mean one of the biggest products they had was the nylon that went into pantyhose and, and you know the legs pantyhose marketed in a egg-shaped plastic carton and it women buy one and wear them and they get a run and throw them away they, it's a commodity mm-hmm. it's a throwaway item and DuPont for some reason even though they were making a lot of money they don't see themselves in that kind of business so well they closed all the plants and that's when I retired when they closed my plant 
How old were you when you retired? I was 55. 55? Now, what yeah. do you do after that? Because I know we're about to get oh, into I... the funny stuff where you just, you go crazy and do everything. It's awesome. So Yeah, well, <clears throat> I had a good career with DuPont, and they have good benefits. And so they gave me a year's salary and a full pension, and, and I didn't have to work anymore at 55. It was wow. fantastic. And then I had my degree in chemistry, but I had this dream about studying physics. And part of the retirement package was uh, retraining, you know, expenses of retraining to find another job. And so they paid my tuition again. And I went, I was living in Virginia. I, I retired living, working at the Martinsville, Virginia plant, and they closed the plant. So I went to Virginia Tech, signed up to study physics. Wow. At 55 At 55 years old. Years old. That just, is motivation right I'm there. Sitting these, I'm sitting in these classes. Well, it was just fun for me. I just loved it to be able to go back and do something I've been wanting to do all my life. Wow. And so I'm up there in these physics classes with these really, really sharp guys. I mean, they're like 19 years old, and they're just, they're just excellent students. And... They're really, really sharp, and it's hard to to compete with those guys. I'm 55, and I've been out of the. I don't even know what it is to study. I don't know how to study. I had to learn all over again. Trying to remember how to. It's a whole, just a whole lot of memorizing, and I, I never was good at that anyway. But anyway, I enjoyed. it. I went there two years at Virginia Tech. Studying. I started off studying physics, and I found out real quick that physics requires a lot of math. Mm-hmm. And I started. I had to take a lot of math courses, and I got through the the uh, you know the, all the classical physics, and then you got the modern physics, which is two things: it's relativity and uh, quantum. So I said, "That's what I want. I want to make sure I get that." And I started getting into that, but I had to take this math, all this math, and I, and I really loved the math. So I switched my major to math. No way. Yeah. And and I was two courses away from getting a, a, a second BS degree in math. Wow. But then I started having the chest pains. And, I, I was, and, and uh, so I told, uh, I had to quit. I, I had to go have a bypass operation. Oh, man. And I never did go back to school after that. But. That's crazy. I started having, the, when I started having the heart trouble. I quit going to school and stayed home, and I thought, well, I, I can teach school because I took a couple of courses at Virginia Tech to uh, prepare me to teach, mm-hmm. you know, a certificate, teaching certificate. I took some education courses, two, two education courses. And so I just went home and applied for a job with the with the uh, school system at uh, Martinsville, Virginia, I mean, in the county, county school system. Yeah. And... Uh, they hired me to teach chemistry at the Bassett High School. Wow. And I thought, my you know, Pat's a teacher, and I was married to Pat at that point. I thought, I can go up there and get these, help get these kids ready for college. Because I just had this strong feelings. I just really felt strongly about college, and kids need to go to college. And how do you motivate kids to go to college? And I thought, that's what I can do. I can go teach chemistry. And I can get these kids ready for college. Yeah. <laughs> After two months, oh, I man. went to see the superintendent of schools. 
I, I, I turned my resignation, but nothing happened. <laughs> I said, replace me. I don't like this. I, I said, you, every day you leave me on this job, you're doing a disservice to these students and to me. Because I hate it. Oh, man. It was so bad. and uh, But you know what? You, you followed, you had that vision and you followed it. And I think, you know, that's something that a lot of people don't do. And regardless, like... A lot of people will know that they enjoy something or hate something because I thought I was fear. I thought I would love it and Pat encouraged me to do it and and she's a teacher and she loves it. But I won't tell you it's just uh I'm just don't have the what, the patience and well I'm telling you it's just everything about everything about teaching is <clears throat> I, yeah I ask myself why would a person with a college education subject themselves to that every day <laughs> for nothing yeah. because you get it from the administrators mm -hmm. you get it from the parents and there's no recourse with the students they don't put any of the responsibility for achievement on the students wow they blame the parents or the teachers or the administrators and everybody's trying to defend themselves and the kids not this kid that wouldn't sit down in his class and i said well Sit down, I'm trying to teach. <laughs> and he walks up to the front of the class and pokes me in the chest with his finger and says, you better be glad I'm not throwing desks like last time. Wow. And so I took him <clears throat> to the office. We have a parent-teacher conference. His dad comes and says, <clears throat> well, son, you're just going to have to know that sometimes teachers are going to pick on you. And so... I said, I'm not even going to participate in this meeting anymore. I got my stuff up and left. And so they took me out of that class, left the kid in the class, took me That's out to crazy. another teacher in. Wow. And then <laughs> so I, know, I hate teaching. And I told that superintendent, I said, I just want you to know I hate it. Well, get me out of here. Get a replacement because I'm not staying. I'm, I'm quitting. I hate it. Yeah. It was funny is like, if you look at your family now, look how many teachers are in this family. It's I know insane. It. Like, I'm a teacher. No, I'm a teacher. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I teach my kids. Uh, like Kelly, when she was in the 10th grade or 11th grade, and she volunteered at the hospital as a candy striper, and then she started working uh, part-time. As in high school, now she's working part-time on the weekends as a nurse's aide. And, well, and she said she's going to study nursing. I said, Kelly, you're making straight A's. You're really smart. You can do anything you want. Why don't you want to be a doctor? And if you don't do that, then if that doesn't work out, you need to be a nurse. You know? Yeah. Well, I think I, I think I, I think I made some sense to her. I mean, she's a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if how much I had to do with it, but I give her all the credit for doing it. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I, I, I want to motivate the kids, and I had problems motivating my sister's kids I, I stuck my nose in their business and they didn't appreciate it but I was trying to motivate those kids to go to college Pat, my sister's kids didn't go to college and uh, some of her grandkids are going and, but they didn't really embrace it you know yeah. early on they figured out later on that like I did they figured out that that's what you need to do if you're going to have anything so after you hung up teaching, where, where did you move next in, in your jobs? Okay, so I, and I, taught, I taught chemistry the whole year. They never replaced me. 
They never got a replacement. They just kept taking me out of classes when I had have a run in with a student. They'd take me out and leave the student in. And so at the end of the year, I was had one class of earth science and lunch duty and bus duty. And that was it. <laughs> and I was getting paid, so I, you know, I stayed till the year was over. And uh, had my bypass operation that year. So then after that, I bought a sailboat. I said, I don't, you know, I just got interested in, I've always been interested in sail, the idea of sailing. You know, it's, yeah. just, it's a romantic idea. So I took Pat down to the Jacksonville, North Carolina. And I said, let's go to the beach. And I wasn't really telling her what I, why I was going. <laughs> she just wanted to go to the beach too, you know. So we get down there and I look in the paper and find a boat for sale and go over and look. And it's, it's a boat, the Morgan, that when I was a kid, I mean, when I was a young man, I had read about this boat, this Morgan. No way. And same boat. Yeah, it's, the guy's name is Charlie Morgan that makes the that built the boat, and a lot of them were built. And they were used as rental boats, and people in the Bahamas would sail them as rental boats and stuff. And they're just really sturdy, and it's it's like an inch and a quarter of solid fiberglass. It doesn't have that honeycomb stuff in the mm-hmm. hull, in the hull. And it's very stable. It's got 6,000 pounds of lead in the keel. It, it takes a hell of a wind to blow it over. And if it does blow it over, it just pops right back up. And um, it's stable. It's got a full keel, so it's, it only needs four feet. It's not like have a big, long keel where it needs seven feet of water. Yeah. So it's what they call a, you know, a shoal keel, so it, you can go in shallow water. You get up close to the island, you know, when you're down there cruising. And so it's an open ocean boat, and anyway, I found it, Pat thought, surely he's not going to buy the first boat he sees. <laughs> but I did. <laughs> right there on Camp Lejeune, I bought that thing and uh, That's awesome. motored out of there. How old were you when you got into sailing? Or when you got the boat? I was uh, 60. Wow. <laughs> Man. I've been retired five years. That's awesome. And where all did you sell at? Well, we we moved the boat from Jacksonville down to uh, Wilmington and left it at Southport at the marina there. And then Pat's uncle Robert and I took the boat out in February 2001. We got down as far as Charleston. And then, oh, we actually got all the way to Jekyll Island, which is in Georgia. And the engine completely gave out. It was an old two-cylinder Volvo diesel. He gave out, and we had to replace the engine. So we repowered the boat right there at Jekyll Island. Wow. And uh, we were there about a week. Bought a new engine, put it in. And then we decided we wouldn't try to do much more. We'd just go back home. Took it back to Southport. Next year, we went out again. Next time, we got all the way to Key West. Went to the Bahamas. had a great trip. Man. We spent the winter in, in uh, the Bahamas. That's great. Just cruising around the Bahamas. <laughs> That's insane. So, what do you think was the driving factor that gave you the motivation to pursue your dreams even after, you know, you said you didn't graduate college until you were 32. Like, what, what would you say for people who are listening to this podcast? What is the number one thing that helped you just finish it out and continue to fall out with your dream uh just don't give up 
just don't quit. I mean, when I was in college and working swing shifts and not getting much sleep and the idea of it, um, I mean, it's very discouraging. You just have to want it. I guess if you just want it really, really bad, you'll do whatever it takes mm -hmm. and just be really stubborn about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to your question because I know I wanted it. Uh, I would think about things like, this is the only life I've got. And if I don't do it, it's not, you know, this is the yeah. only chance I got. I'm not going to get to try again. Yeah. And even though I'm six years behind, eight years behind all the kids that I graduated from high school with, I'm eight years behind. I'm never going to catch up. I'm not even going to gain on it. I'm going to lose ground as I go because they're going to school. They went to school full time and got their degree. I'm going to go to school half time. And I'm never going to catch up with them. I'm always going to be eight to ten years behind. But what's the alternative? Don't do it at all. Yeah. So that was the way I looked at it. Wow. That's powerful. Don't let that, don't let the fact that you're eight or ten years behind your classmates stop you from doing it. Yeah. Okay. And I, I just didn't, I didn't see myself as a person that goes through his life with a high school degree, a high school education. Yeah. I didn't see myself that way. Wow. So like power of having a vision. That's yeah. awesome. So we're here in the cabins and for those that are listening to the podcast and you hear the banging around, that's because there's a ton of people here and uh, we're having a great time. But this weekend, you know, I just want to ask you, what are the, what are you most grateful for this weekend? Oh, this family, God. Mm -hmm. Can't believe it. It's crazy, right? Yeah. And uh, I'll put a link in the show link in the show notes below. But you guys have to see we built a pyramid of all what was it the great grandchildren or grandchildren? Oh, just and, the grandchildren and their and their significant others. Yes, sir. It was awesome. There was like, I think ten of us. <laughs> I thought we were gonna collapse, but that's all right. And the kids, the the grandkids cover a wide range of ages. Like the youngest one is uh, less than a year, and the oldest one is thirty. Wow. That's the grandkids. That's crazy. That's spread out. Beautiful family. Good. What is your definition of greatness in your life? How do you define someone of, you look at that guy and you're like, wow, he's great. You know, what is your definition of greatness in life? Oh, just somebody that has achieved a lot of things without hurting a lot of people in the, in the process. I mean, some people are really brutal and they, they're so focused that they do a lot of damage and I don't really have much respect for people to do that yeah. but uh, guess you come in <laughs> <laughs> I don't know uh, but, so before we wrap this up is there anything else that you would like to add or give out to the world or Anything you'd like to add? I have so many stories to tell, but they don't have any focus. Um, I guess as far as achieving your goals, first you got to have some significant goals. And so many people that I see, kids, um, I mean, they're just, I see these high school kids that are just very happy to sew zippers for a living. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, they don't have any ambition. And how to make them have ambition, I don't know. So the first thing is, uh, is you got to have some dreams and some ambition and some. And, and I got mine in the sixth grade. I had a good teacher and I had a good friend that was my age that was, he was a little genius. And he loved reading about um, astronomy and science. We, let, we read five. This is sixth graders reading science fiction at the library. We go in the library and find science fiction books and read wow. them and talk about them. Wow. And so he motivated me from the sixth grade. And then my teacher, Mr. Sanders, motivated me. So I got it early from, they really influenced my life because I never lost that, that fascination and interest in science from the sixth grade. Never lost it. But I, and that was that was what I was interested in. Is my motivation to give you advice. If you've got a dream, that's something you really love. I'd say you're seventy-five percent there. Wow. If you got something you really want, and yeah. I had something I really wanted, and that was a college education. I wanted it so bad, and it took me seven and a half years and. I didn't, I had to raise my kids, coach, I had to coach ball. I went through some really hard times, people, and I didn't have any support to, to I had nobody encouraging me mm-hmm. to do it. So, you just have to, I think that some people just do it. Yeah. They have to want it, and they have to do it. Uh, regardless how hard it gets, you just do it if that's what you want. I think the biggest handicap is not wanting it. Yeah. I guess that's all. I hadn't much time to think about that answer, but that's what I've come up with in, the, <laughs> in a few seconds. Yeah, that's awesome though. Um, you know, I just want to take the time just to acknowledge you and first of all tell you thank you for sitting down and talking with me and always having deep conversations and I, you know i've always i'm just grateful for that and i'm grateful that when jessica and i got married that you know you accept me into the family and you, you you're able to open up to me and vice versa and um your story is just such an inspiration like it inspires me to continue doing what i'm doing because uh you know i see a lot of like what you're saying with your hardships in my own life you know with me being a marine a husband you know, I I don't have kids, obviously, like you did at that stage of your life, but, but you will. maintaining that college and, you know, it's just, uh, it's a lot of motivation. I think a lot of people are going to take a lot from it and see that, you know, just because it sucks today doesn't mean that's going to suck tomorrow. And just because you're not achieving your goal today does not mean that you can't have it tomorrow. I mean, just hearing the story of how you didn't, you know, you didn't graduate until you're 32 and then you went to study physics at 55 and I'm just going to tell you guys, if you're listening to this, this is like one of the smartest people I know when it comes to math. I remember uh, the first time Jessica brought me out to the cabin, they were doing trivia, and they tried to stump you. They asked you some crazy, ridiculous physics question. <laughs> and he literally sat there counting to himself in his head for like a minute, and then gave the answer and got it correct. I was like, what? How is this even possible? <laughs> so, oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for sharing with us today. And, you know, it's uh, it's always a pleasure. And I just enjoy spending time with you and hearing your story. It's crazy. Nice. Everything from work, you know, working at DuPont, which I didn't even know that part. I just knew about the craziness of you being a teacher and then a truck driver and selling the world and hearing all your crazy selling stories. And it's just awesome. 
Well, thank so you. So much. And thanks for being in the family. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, that's going to wrap us up here for today. But um, if you like today's episode, I'd like to encourage you to share us on Facebook, on Twitter. Reach out to me. Let me know what you think. Um, if you wanted to contact and hear more from Leland, you know, leave a uh, leave a comment on the podcast on Facebook, and that would be the fastest way to be able to, re- you know, we can get back to you. So, thank you guys. Love you, and hope you guys are having a great week. And Merry Christmas to you.